0: This podcast is recorded over Zoom. All efforts are made to retain guest audio quality, but we are at the mercy of the connection. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV and content professionals to help demystify and democratize the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is film director, Academy Award-nominated producer, animator and owner of Blur visual effects studio, Tim Miller. After cutting his teeth with animation, game cinematics and short film, Tim made a mark on Hollywood with his memorable title sequences for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Thor The Dark World before moving into live action directing with record-beating hit Deadpool and Terminator Dark Fate. He's currently helming Netflix's animated anthology series Love, Death and Robots alongside David Fincher and joins us from LA. Welcome, Tim. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, and just a real quick little minor correction, but
1: because I'm proud of it, I say. The, on Thor The Dark World, we did do the titles, but we also, um, Marvel let me do the first three minute opening in the movie, which is like a big fucking fight of dark elves against Diner Jar, uh, warriors, and, uh, and Thor's father. Uh, it was
0: great. I, I, do, I do remember that well. I was thinking in my research, it's such a long intro and you've been such a, a busy guy through your career. Is there one of those multi-hyphenates that you align with more than others?
1: Um, I could tell you one I'd lose is the Academy award-winning producer um, just because I, I yeah it was a short film but um, another guy Jeff Fowler who directed Sonic uh, which which I was an EP on and Jeff worked here for years his in fact his desk is still next to me here because he won't let me uh, clean it off and use it for other <laughs> for other artists um, because it's his home away from home but anyway uh, Jeff did that so I always feel like I I don't know. It's not like I'm, I don't think producers do a, a lot of work. Um, some of them do an enormous amount of work uh, and save movies every day. I, I just feel like my my street cred is is more, more about the directing part of it. Although that's changing, you know. I love Death and Robots. I'm I'm directing some of the shorts, but uh, but but I'm also producing all the other ones.
0: When you started when you were younger was live action directing always going to be the goal or were you primarily primarily a vfx and animation kid growing up
1: uh live action was never the goal um i always loved movies but i i i loved to draw and i what i wanted to be originally was an illustrator uh, and then i got into animation and so i wanted to be an animator because it had uh, both the story that i love because i've always read books and it had the art part, which I really love, which is why I love comics. You know, comics is kind of this perfect blend of mm. of words and pictures. Um, and it wasn't till very—I mean, I kind of stumbled into live action. I never—I wasn't one of those animators that thought uh, animation's a, a ghetto that I hopefully will get out of and become a live action director one day. Yeah. It was not at all my plan. I just wanted to do animated film, films, just not kids
0: stuff. You know? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, If you were talking to younger Tim now, in a new economy, everything's changed. Lots of people are listening to this podcast for trying to get into the industry and following their creative dreams. What sort of path would you follow now, do you think, if you were young Tim Miller now in Fort Washington? Um, You know, I I think
1: that the access to to tools has brought a whole level of democracy to getting noticed and getting started that, that wasn't there when I first started like you couldn't do the job of, of computer animation or visual effects without a lot of fucking money. Um, you know, it took, you had to buy a big computer that was very expensive. You had to buy expensive software. Um, when I started at Sony image as a visual effects artist, which was not my first job in the industry, but my computer, that my personal computer cost $90,000. Wow. And, and this. And the software that I ran on it was almost forty thousand dollars. So it's not something you know, like anybody that, but a rich person or a company could be involved in. Now it's different. You can buy a computer for chump change, um, although it's still you know it's still a privilege that the Western world has uh, takes for granted sometimes. Um, and you can get the software, uh, capable software, for free.
0: So anyway, that means then the limit is your, your personal drive and your own imagination. Which is brilliant. And it also leads me into, I know that from your Terminator.Fate tab, massive tabs on the top, you're a real researcher of you know, even hiring people from YouTube and DeviantArt and people like that. Do you find that a really interesting way of reaching out to people who might not necessarily be found?
1: Oh yeah. I, I, uh, I do it all the time. In fact, most of the, you know, every we, we have about 130 people on site here at blur. Um, and then we have, we have artists sort of scattered around the world that we also use and we always do anniversaries and birthdays and stuff at our staff meetings. And, and usually if somebody comes up on a, on an anniversary, that's longer than 10 years, there's some story about me finding, them on the internet and writing them a letter that's like hey buddy in South Africa uh i really like your shit um what are you doing
0: that's um, cool
1: but i reach out all the time one of the artists sent me um uh this young gentleman's work who's in New Zealand um he's doing these i think it's pronounced as- sartes or Astartes, but he's doing these fan made warhammer shorts that are f- fucking amazing um and I had to. I'm like, I got to track this guy down. Um, he's doing them all himself. The stories are his in the in the Warhammer universe, and, and he's doing all the art, art and animation, and visual effects, and they're amazing. So I tracked him down. And said, "Hey, come work for us." He hasn't yet, but I'm gonna.
0: Amazing. Do you think working in that way creates more interesting and globally relevant work, like some of the different shorts on Love, Death, and Robots, for example, with uh, you know Asian animation and things like that?
1: Oh, totally, um, and I have a I have a lot of respect for for that, and you know, just d- bringing different cultural perspectives to different stories. Um, I pick all the stories, and and I and I feel like I try and pick an eclectic mix of not only genres but but also uh, cultural styles, and then we kind of cast the right uh, animation company or the right director to that it f- it feels like a good fit for the meat. But but back to the whole producing of it all, one of the things that I, I struggle with every day and, and, I, and I can certainly do better is that a show like Love, Death and Robots is all about the different perspectives. It's all about the variety. And so I try not to be heavy handed in, in producing it. And you don't want to be one of those directors who becomes a producer and then forces everybody to make the decisions the way you would have made them, right? So you have to sort of... Uh, have this inner battle of, is what is this note that I'm feeling a subjective thing or is it an objective thing? Because sometimes shit's just wrong, right? But sometimes shit is just not what you do and not necessarily wrong. And the ego is, you have to wrestle your ego into submission before you can kind of make those distinctions. Uh, I'm not sure I'm always successful.
0: So obviously it comes across that you're such a big fan of the collaboration and curation, I guess, with shows like that. Do you throw out the idea of the alter theory and you think that there's a much more synergistic world where working together creates something greater than the, the sum of their parts?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you saw that on Deadpool is that I was never, I never feel like I'm the guy that has to have all the answers, right? I feel like um, I have to have a, a vision and a direction, um, but you know, maybe I'm the guy steering the boat, but I didn't build the boat and I, and I can't set the sails and I can't man the oars and I can't pull the anchor up and I can't, um, cook the food and, and, you know, play a fiddle. So you, if you can continue the sailing metaphor, so it, but it really takes everybody. Um, and if, and if I was left on that big ship alone, I'd get nowhere. I would drift around aimlessly and produce nothing. So I, I believe that. And I like the camaraderie, um, I love it when people come up with an idea that that is better than what I was thinking. Um, and often with animation too, especially, but, but not only that, but live action, people have time in your speciality to think about a problem more deeply than I do in the five minutes I may have for that particular part of the process, because, you know, you got to skim like a pond, um, and so you have to trust you hire good people and you trust them to bring you good solutions to these problems and and solutions that you didn't have time or inclination or talent really to think of you know you see it all the time on set where i'll lean on the cinematographer because he's got a much better eye for shot composition and lighting than i will ever have so why not use that
0: definitely that whole world view of you know, coming up to you and saying, I've got this idea or whatever. does seem to fit with quite progressive companies like Netflix, you know, where even if you're the, the runner, you go up to the exec and you say, I've got this idea. And they say, that's the best idea. Is that one of the sort of the reasons that you feel a bit of a kindred spirit with the freedom of companies like Netflix?
1: Um, I, I I don't know about that. I mean, I, I feel that the, the interesting thing about Netflix in general is that they are... It's almost like somebody who has been repressed all their life suddenly got a lot of money and they're <laughs> like, I want to try. I want to taste every flavor. I want to sample every color. I want to experience every every human emotion in the full spectrum. And, the, and, the, and they have the wherewithal to go do it um, versus the, you know, sometimes jaded and cynical parts of the industry that, that held sway for so long. And, and it's cool because it sort of forces everybody else to say, Oh, wait a second, maybe we got to, you know, shake off the, our ennui and, uh, and, and look at things afresh. Now you get a lot of, you get a lot of dreck with that. Um, I'm sure we all experience like uh, sort of the cultural, um, cultural filtering that has to happen um, because, you know, you lean on your friends and family and community to sort of tell everybody um, what you like and, and what you don't. And it, and it makes a big difference. Like I send, I send a book list out um, every couple of months to people at Blur. Like these are the good books I've read lately, because I feel like I can save them the time of reading bad books by recommending good books. You hear from your friends all the time. Like I just sent something, I watched For All Mankind on on Apple, which I, I hadn't really heard a lot of buzz about, but fuck, it was great. Um, and so I'm proselytizing that, that show to, to other people. And conversely, when you, when you watch something that doesn't hold up, you put that out there. Put that out there. And then you have disagreements of it. I, I, I said a show the other day, some, one of our producers said, Oh man, I, I'm really enjoying that show. And I'm like, really? I watched the first two episodes and I need to reevaluate your, your uh, aesthetic opinion (laughs) from here on out because it was fucking shit. Um, but he loved it.
0: So that goes back to your collaboration, just to go back to what we were talking about before. Do you think that some of the older style studios could potentially become dinosaurs if they don't keep up with the freedom of Netflix and their pursuit of creativity?
1: Well, I I don't know that they'll survive long enough to be dinosaurs, right? They'll, (laughs) they'll, uh, they'll they'll become fossils, uh, quickly. But from, from what I see of them that, I mean, the process is slow and painful, um, at times, but, but also, you know, at the end of the day, it's really just finding, uh, finding talent, nurturing it and, uh, figuring out where it goes in the spectrum of, mediums available for people to watch and i I don't really see a whole lot of difference in the process between what a studio does and what netflix does it's it's kind of the same and in fact the longer time goes on the more sameness uh occurs and and that's both good and bad right like i'm sure you've you've seen it but even in my company if, if there's a if, if somebody rises from the ranks into a supervisor position, they come into that position usually with this, oh, well, I'm going f- to right all the wrongs that I suffered with. I'm going f- to solve all the problems that I've seen as I rose through the ranks. And then they get up there and they go, oh, well, maybe there's a reason that these problems exist. And maybe there's a reason why they weren't solved before. Uh, um, and, I, and I think you see the same thing. Like there was this Wild West period Um, with the streamers and in some aspects of that are passing or, or have passed already, right. They're not um, willing because they, because they encounter the same kind of problems that the studios have years before and adopt the same sort of solutions because you kind of have to. So I think ultimately the playing field gets even and it really just comes down to, you know, who's going to make great content.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned nurturing talent there. And I, I read somewhere that you're not a big fan of the word mentor, which is something I'm always banging on about in these uh podcast interviews for juniors. Is there a reason that you don't feel aligned with that idea?
1: Well, I, I, if I was to call myself a mentor, that it sounds pompous as fuck. Um, and and it, it immediately suggests that I think I have some kind of wisdom to pass on. Mm. And I don't feel that. I feel <laughs> I have so I have some suggestions uh, and I have some knowledge, but, but here's the thing when you talk about like the nature of your podcast, the thing that I, I, I would stress and I, and I don't, it's the worst advice um, probably because I, I don't know how you implement it, but all of the stupid shit I did, all of the mistakes I made, I don't regret making them. Um, for instance, starting this company, um what i thought it was going to be how hard i was thought it was going to be what it would become and what it would do to me i was wrong about all of them um but if i knew what it really was going to be or what i'd really have to do or how hard i was really going to have to work i wouldn't have done it so so the the illusions that i labored under though incorrect it had a good result um for me in that i, I I don't, I don't think I would go back and change it if I had a chance but I also know how wrong I I was about um, what I thought it was going to be you know what I mean so I like so for me saying to someone this is what you need to do it's I'm not sure that that's the correct thing it's it could only be this this is what I've learned over time sometimes you you need to be wrong and and move ahead anyway and and hope that it'll something right will come of it in due
0: time. Definitely. I mean, yeah, the, the journey along the way is going to take you to the place that you're always heading, I guess. And that's the most valuable bit. I imagine for you, of course, Blur has got to be the most valuable thing that you've ever done opposed to doing massive stuff like Terminator, surely.
1: Yeah. I mean, even still, I mean, I didn't direct a movie until I was 50 and I'm going to be 56 next month. So the the directing movie thing is not that, you know, it's still pretty fresh. Um, and, you know, every year in my 40s I would have a conversation with my wife at least four or five times of "Well, well what if you don't get the movie what if it doesn't work what if um you know this is this is what you have and and I would say genuinely um I would say I've been incredibly fortunate and successful before any before Deadpool before Terminator before any of that um successful for me not maybe by the standards of the world but i was always happy with it and and I, in the community we have with the artists there's hundreds of artists that have come through here and worked here and have said their lives are better for it it's the best place they ever work they produce great work so you know i haven't solved world peace or cancer or, or anything but um I, I i'm proud of
0: what we've put out in the world how did it feel to walk on to your first live action set at 50 with all those people listening to you for your every word did you feel ready
1: Oh oh, yeah. yeah, I felt ready. I I think one of the best, uh, in hindsight, one of the best things, one of the best training grounds you can have for features is running a company because, Mm. uh, in many ways it's much like that. You have a bunch of people looking to you for, for some kind of guidance uh, or leadership. Um, but more importantly, looking to you for just to set the tone for how they're going to be able to do their jobs. Um, I don't believe in that. Uh, I didn't believe about it in Blur, and I certainly didn't believe it on a movie set where fear and anxiety and um, people being unsure about the emotional tenor uh, of the people above them produces the best work. Um, Maybe it works for some people, but I just think it's childish. Those directors that you hear stories about that yell and scream and stomp their feet, and I've experienced uh, some of those people. And every time I just feel, yeah, as have you, uh, and, and you just, I just stand back and go, Oh my God, that, that just feels so if I did that every time I've ever lost my temper and you, you know, because you were on Terminator, I've never yelled on a movie set, never, never yelled at anybody. Um, but every time I felt it inside, I feel like I I've lost I, It's because it, it feels childish um, to me.
0: My memory of you, Tim, was that you were even pretty emotional on set. I remember you at the end wrapping on Terminator and you got so teared up at the end with your, <laughs> you know, finishing your story.
1: Oh man, I cry so easily. It's embarrassing. I can't give any speech without crying because uh, I think some, some, somewhere online that even the article was the crying director. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's never for pain. It's, I just get, I get, yeah, I get very emotional and I get very, I'm very grateful for, for all these things. And usually that's when I tear up is what I'm talking about how lucky I've been or how grateful I feel. And, um, and my dad was the same way, you know, he, he, he had, he had enormous back pain, would never cry, never complain, but you know, a dead puppy, he'd be, you know, weeping, um, a river of tears. And, and I, you know what? I think that's all right. Absolutely. Nobody said I wasn't tough. Um, so I, I and 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 the, and the tears uh, to me just mean that i'm i'm tough enough that i can be
0: sensitive about that stuff i hope you're enjoying red carpet rookies if you'd like to support the show you can get a two-month free trial of skillshare the netflix of online courses with the link in the podcast show notes you can learn from topics including filmmaking photoshop music production and hundreds more if you fancy yourself as a script writer you could even check out my beginner's course for professional screenwriting software, Final Draft. Did your fearlessness of stepping onto set and being the boss from being a boss of a company stretch to having to direct Arnold Schwarzenegger in his you know, most famous role?
1: No, not at all. And, and I, honestly, I think that there's something wrong with me because I don't, I don't think I feel stress um, and fear the same way um, everybody else does people have said it about starting your own business too. They're like, you know, you left uh, Sony Imageworks and started your own business and you know how that took a lot of courage. I'm like, did it really? Cause what if it hadn't worked? I would have, the company didn't work and then I go back and I get a high paying job in the visual effects field. Where's the fucking risk. The risk came the first time you sign a loan that with your house is collateral. Um, if you don't pay it, you know, that it starts, you start to feel the risk. But I mean, the the movie set, what I'm risking is 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 embarrassment for a bad film or or, you know, actors who don't like me. Um, But they all made it easy. I mean, you saw from the from being on set, Linda and Arnold and McKinsey and Natalia and Gabe, we all had a really great time together and they were they were great people. Arnold makes it easy. He fucked with me a little bit on the first day, but 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 never after that. What did he do? Uh, he, didn't, he didn't want to do, he didn't want to do a line. So he, he, there's always a little bit of a, a little bit of a challenge. Like, let's see what kind of dude you are, um, moment with, with people, but it was all Arnold has such a genuine love of people and a good, a good temper. You know, he was always laughing and joking and, um, it, you don't take it. You don't take it seriously even when he does challenge you, even though he's one of the smartest guys in the room.
0: You know? Do you think that that fearlessness comes in part because unlike most people in the industry, I guess, you've got this, your own company behind you. And realistically, you're not in a way wed to the day job. You know, if if you got fired from a movie, so what? You've got this big company behind you and you can go and do VFX. Do you think that gives you a bit of a different perspective maybe?
1: Uh, it certainly does. and And, you know, maybe I've, forgotten what it's like to not have a net there, but, but I can honestly say I didn't act any differently when I didn't have a net, right. I've had lots of jobs. Um, I I came from, you know, upper middle class family, which means I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got a lot of what I wanted. So I I felt like it was the sweet spot where I wasn't completely spoiled, but, but I also didn't feel this great desire to have shit that I never had. Um, and so anyway, when I, when I, whenever I take some kind of risk, I always feel like, well, if it doesn't work out, um, I'll just do something else. I, I, it's not like I'm not gonna, when you have kids, it changes a little bit. Like that's, um, that's a, a risk, but, um, but generally speaking, I always felt like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just do something else, and and that is a luxury I feel like a lot of people don't have. I can't tell you why why I have it or why I deserve it. I can say though that I just felt like, you know, people say uh, don't be afraid to fail, and failure is good, and you learn. I I think that's bullshit. I think failure is terrible, mm. um, and you should do everything you can do to not fail. But I but even when I, I would I would say that. Things have not worked out on occasion for me, but I don't know that I would term it failure. I would just say, well, that didn't work, and you tried something else, or well, that didn't work the way I thought, and you tried something else. Failure feels like it has finality to it that that I feel like doesn't usually happen. You know, if you if you're if you're mountain climbing, um, you know, maybe uh, then, then maybe failure is is the right word because slip and fall you're dead, but not fucking directing movies or visual effects.
0: When I was doing the research to speak to you, Tim, I was obviously watching my way through Love, Death, and Robots again. And it's obviously so wide in its scope and it covers, you know, it's very difficult to explain. I even remember you talking to us in Spain about trying to name it and not even know how to name it. Are you going to try and stretch that even further with the new series we're doing at the moment? Um, you mean the next, the next batch of them? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I think, I, I think it, this season's selection of stories is very different, um, than last, uh, stories. stories. Fincher was down, um, a uh, week before last and, and I showed him some of the stuff, work in progress. And one of the ones I'm doing is it would never be one that you would imagine I would do. It's like a tone poem. Um, it's, and nobody dies and there's no machine guns.
0: Um, but anyway,
1: but, but anyway it, it, you know, I showed it to David and it was back-to-back back with one that was a real crazy comedy violent thing. And he's like, dude, I just fucking love the fact that these two things sit next to each other inside the same series because they're about as far from each other as they can get from a tonal cultural uh, sort of vibe. But, but they all still fit with love, death and robots. And, and I feel like the audience is that I don't feel, I always take the, I always assume the audience is like me. Right. I feel like they, if I, if I'm interested in it, they're going to be interested in it. Now on Terminator, I, I felt like that was a big swing and a miss because I felt, I was super confident that I just need to make a great movie Mm. and, Terminator fans like me will love it. And I was very wrong because the movie tanked <laughs> um, and, and, and the nerd turn, turned against and said, yeah, fuck you. Uh, you may be interested in, in it, but we're not. Um, but I still, you know, it,
0: it is weird. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned your collaboration with David Fincher there. Obviously, your two directors who I presume have very specific visions, uh, David Fincher family has a very specific vision. What is it about your collaboration that keeps it so in sync?
1: Uh, you know, we laugh about it all the time because uh, if you knew David, he's very genuine uh, and very funny. He's always the smartest guy uh, around. I'm sure. And But he's, but he's not, you know, unapproachable. But when you look at the kind of stuff that I generally make, it has a messy, uh, very human, very, uh, <laughs> compared to David's amateurish uh, approach to, to storytelling. Um, and his is very sophisticated and controlled. Um, it's like a designer versus an illustrator. And And I would never have that David and I would be friends or collaborate in an aesthetic way. Um, and I think it works mostly because... A, he's secretly a genre fan. Like he, he, you know, he, he didn't do a Spider-Man movie, but he wanted to do a Spider-Man movie. He didn't do 20,000, DC, but he wanted to do it. I'd like to see that. Oh yeah. He would be great at it. Um, it would be so fucking different. Um, David Fincher directing the Star Wars movie would, would make me go see a Star Wars movie. opening day. Yeah. But, but anyway, but it is, and it's, it's a different aesthetic. Um, but But he still likes all this, the same Mm. shit that I do. And so we get along well. And on Love, Death and Robots, he's like, dude, you do your, he, he um, is involved in it and, and looks at everything and we talk about it, but he kind of lets us, you know, sort of handle the day to day and, and, uh, and it works well and he likes it.
0: One of the things I ask guests about on Red Carpet Rookies is the future of the industry, and Love, Death, and Robots is, of course, futuristic sci-fi. I think it's interesting that animation could be a really positive force for promoting diversity on screen. Do you think that that is something that might happen as we move forward?
1: Um, well, we're we're very aware of it. Um, I, I I would say that, you know, I. Oh, I have felt all my life where I grew up and the way I grew up, I I haven't really thought about it much. I never, I wasn't really aware of, of I had no racism to get rid of. I had no gender bias to get rid of, but I have learned as we become more aware of it, there's, that there's a lot of stuff that, um, that I'm not aware of that's unconscious bias. Like, oh. you know, on, on set on Terminator, Mackenzie was the, the best one to, to point that shit out. And, and so, you know, I would ask, we'd have conversations about it all the time. And I remember one where we were with the stunt guys and we had to climb this hill and I'm like, all right, let's get up there, ladies. Let's go. We got to hustle. And Mackenzie said, ah, yeah, that's, that's fucked up, Tim. <laughs> and I said, what? I just, I, I'm not insulting. And she goes, yeah, you are. It's, it's a slight insult because you calling them ladies and tell them to the hustle. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And, and I didn't think of it that, I didn't mean it as an insult and I wasn't aware I wasn't insulting it. And, and it made me fear a whole level of, of, uh, of behavior that I'm just un, unaware of. And I, and I, and if I want, if I'm going to insult somebody, I, I want to know that I'm doing it. I don't want to do it unconsciously. And, and truthfully, I don't feel any of that. Um, so anyway, back to your question. So we, but so we make a very conscious effort um, to uh, to be inclusive, which means the characters we cast um, this year, we're doing a better, uh, a much better job of, of uh, with female directors, and we're really trying hard to make sure that it feels representative of the whole culture uh, and not just. Uh, the, the privileged few. And, and I still feel like there's a whole fucking w- world that we could do better in that, you know, because the next thing you go are, well, are you representing Arab cultures? Are you representing African cultures? Are we doing, mm. you know, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, area of inclusiveness that, that can be had, but we're trying to do our best.
0: That's fantastic. Is there anything about the industry you'd like to change? I don't
1: know. it seems it seems uh, incredibly unfair at times, but on the by the same token, uh, there has to be gatekeepers and there has to be some kind of maze that uh, all the mice need to run through to get their shot. Um, on the surface of it, uh, I, I'm probably... I probably have everything going for me. I own a company. I was creatively, I'm a man, I'm a white man. Um, I I come from a upper middle-class family and they, so I got to go to college and I have all these advantages and I still didn't get a shot to do a film at 50, despite trying very hard for 15 years, um, to get one. And, and so I, I would say that, you know, sometimes it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, there's so few people that get a chance to make a movie or a television show um, that it, th- that you just have to stay in the game and keep trying. But I don't, know any, I don't know that there's any way to change that, right? Everybody that wants to make a movie doesn't deserve to make a movie. Everybody that thinks they're good isn't. Um, and so even if they're nice and kind people, if they're going to make, make it terrible, they might be a terrible director or they might be, you know a shit set dresser or you don't you, and so there's no there's no place for kindness uh, in there um, yeah
0: it's a business i guess
1: it's business yeah it's i don't know it's tricky i don't know how to answer that question my heart says i want to give everybody a chance but the fact is there's just not that many chances for the number of people that want them and and and, and i just feel lucky more than deserving that that i finally got mine
0: Now, to wrap up on Red Carpet Rookies, we do a little questionnaire, which is an ode to In the Actors Studio. So it's just a quick fire, little few questions. So I'm going to start with number one what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: You know, I, it would have to be two poems from my father. Um, one of them is Rudyard Kipling's If, uh, and the other one is Invictus. Um, he quoted them often, but, but if is the best one, and and it really is the, I'll sum it up with, if you can keep your head about you and all, or if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, that's the best advice is always be, always be calm.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Number two, do you have a favorite film? It's a hard one.
1: Um, It would be a, a, a tough choice between aliens, Blade Runner and
0: Gladiator. What gives you a reason to get out of bed for an early call time? If one at all.
1: There are people, there are people already up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. What profession other than your own in the industry would you like to do if you weren't doing yours?
1: I think I would make an amazing production designer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I I think, uh, I think I'd love to be an editor if I, or a writer, maybe a writer. Uh, maybe an editor. Editor's more collaborative.
0: Is there a general profession in life that
1: you would never want to do? Um, an air conditioner repairman, because I'm watching those guys suffer this week. <laughs> it's terrible.
0: If you could work with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Mm. I might have to go with Rudyard Kipling. Cool. What is a book that everyone should read? I'm going to change that to Jack London. Jack.
1: Uh, what is the one book everyone should read? Uh, Seawolf by Jack London.
0: And finally, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank?
1: Um, I know this sounds uh, uh, overused, but my wife. She she uh, she's a driver, and without being willing to take the risks um, beside me, it, this whole thing wouldn't have worked. And without her advice, it would have failed uh, many times. So,
0: got to be her. Incredible. Amazing lessons and thoughts from one of the longest multi hyphenates around. Thanks for being here, Tim. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To keep updated, you can follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook, RC Rookies Pod on Twitter, or contact us at redcarpetrookies at gmail.com. And please do subscribe or drop us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.